the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, part two of our interview with Dr. Casey, and we're going to discuss evaluation of a big child. I think this is one of the more challenging diagnostic dilemmas I have in my clinic. It's like the supracondylar humerus fracture that kind of makes me nervous. When you see somebody that has a gunstock deformity, you'll know why. Uh, so you really don't want to miss that. And same thing with the kid that wakes up and just refuses to bear weight. No trauma that anyone knows about. And they're just popping around and they're not able to tell you what's going on. I see it all the time with parents or somebody else has the child on their lap going down the slide and the leg goes under their hip and they get a toddler's fracture. I've seen those maybe hundreds of times. What do you do when the kid comes in that's limping and you can't get a great history? How do you start? Well, I do get a good history. So I think the history is super important. And just for all the reasons that you talked about with the, the slide or trauma or not, because I think a lot of times actually they come in limping and the parents blame it on an injury when it's not an injury. That's just a red herring. So I want to make sure you don't get fooled by this history of trauma. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the parent's mind, they will think, oh, they fell and it was three hours before their nap, but they were running around between the fall and the nap and then woke up with pain. And, but they won't tell you that unless you really specifically ask. So after the fall, were they walking? Oh yeah, they were running around. If you don't ask that, you won't know. And so you'll be on the trauma pathway when you need to be on the infection, something else pathway. Mm -hmm. A good history is really, really important. And there are some other things that you can glean out of the history that you might not be able to get in the office. Trying to figure out what part of the extremity is hurting or which extremity is sometimes challenging. And so if the parent says they won't walk, well, that's interesting because some people not walking means they, they walk with a limp but they actually are walking. And to some people, it means they won't put their legs down. So be real specific with that. Also ask if they'll crawl. If the child will crawl, then you've pretty much ruled out hip and femur because if the hip or the femur is the problem that won't let them walk, it also won't let them crawl. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's helpful to ask the parent, well, will they crawl? That is kind of the beginning of my conversation is getting a good history. And then of course you jump into the physical exam. For the physical exam, you, you really have to get what you can based on if the child's really sore, you try to keep them as comfortable as possible. So if they're in mom's and dad's laps, you're basically trying to see if you can move joints without upsetting them. So I try to start in the area that I don't think the problem is just so I can get a baseline of, okay, this child will let me wiggle toes or move arms or things without screaming at me. Sometimes they scream the second you walk in the door and it's very difficult to get a good exam. But a lot of times you can manipulate a little bit and with treats and snacks and pretending you're not examining them and playing this little piggy went to market and things like that, you can get a decent exam. Mm -hmm. So I start usually with the feet. And while I'm looking at the feet, sometimes I'll give a little hip motion. So you can check a little inward rotation of the hip. That's the one that's usually going to trigger something if they've got a septic hip or transient synovitis. So you start playing with the toes, they handle the toes, and then you inwardly rotate the hip and they scream, it's going to be the hip. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of work my way up. Uh, if I've ruled out hip and toes, then first metatarsal is a common uh, injury site. And then, of course, tibia for toddler fractures. And all the palpation is also great for infection because infection, usually they can, you'll know when you get there. Mm -hmm. It helps with increased warmth and, and finding swelling. 
But range of motion, again, is always the key. So a swollen joint does not move normally. And in little kids, sometimes they have so much chub, you really can't tell what's swollen. Sometimes even knees are hard to tell in little kids. Be aware of subtalar range of motion. That's not an uncommon place for an idiopathic arthritis to present. So subtalar and ankle can cause a child to limp. And then, of course, you check knee, hip, and also make sure you palpate spine for discitis. Uh, that's, that's super important. And obviously, if you can get the child to walk or crawl or move around the room, that helps you a lot just with observation. So that's where I start. And then I get images. And so for imaging, we just start with a routine hips to ankle AP evaluation. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a screening, screening x-ray to look at everything and minimize the radiation dose. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I fine tune it based on my physical exam. Mm -hmm. So if I'm worried about the hip, then we end up with a frog pelvis. Always include both hips. So even if you're only worried about the one hip, in children, skippy, perthes, transient synovitis, whatever it is, if you have a worry about a hip, you get AP pelvis, frog pelvis radiograph. You always want that other side to compare to. Let me interrupt you just for a second while we're moving through our list. So transient synovitis versus infected hip. What are your thoughts on that? How do you know? What do you do? Does everybody get a lab? Do you have to send everybody to get their hip tapped, which is obviously traumatic in this child? So what do you do? You also are asking a bunch of questions to figure out what else is going on. So are there any other symptoms? Is the child sick? Were they sick two or three weeks ago? Mm -hmm. The transient synovitis kids tend to have had some sort of upper respiratory infection about two or three weeks prior but they aren't currently ill, so they don't have a fever now. They may or may not have had a fever before, but they had some sort of illness. But it's important that they don't have a fever now. It's important that they are acting like themselves in terms of their systemic well-being. They have a healthy appetite. They are sleeping well, but they just won't walk. That feels a whole lot like more like transient synovitis mm -hmm. than the kids that don't look good, they aren't eating, they're febrile or low-grade fever. Those are the ones that I'm much more worried about septic hip. But a lot of times, early septic hip looks like transient synovitis, so you're not really sure. So for me, if anybody that comes in limping and does not have a normal exam, like their hip doesn't move normally, or I can trigger pain on exam of the hip, even with normal radiographs, because with the septic hip or transient synovitis, your radiographs will be normal. They have bought themselves lab workup. And that includes a CBC with differential, a SED rate, and a CRP. That helps us a lot figure out which way we need to go. Mm -hmm. Great. That's great information because that's a tough one. I tell you guys that don't do a lot of pediatrics or your urgent care and you have them come in, it, it is a tough one. What about a, a skiffy? And for those that don't know what a skiffy is, a slip capital femoral epiphysis, SCFE, skiffy and perthes. And I just picked these out. If there are other ones that are more common that you want to talk about, please do. But tell us about a skiffy, what we're going to see, what we look at, and perthes. Kind of where do we go? Both of these can present with painless limps or painful limps. Perthes is usually a younger age group. Typical perthes is four to eight. And a skiffy is going to be a teenager. Typical skiffy is kind of 11 to 14. And they're usually different patient populations. Perthes is going to be hyperactive, skinny boys, but not always. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, especially, I see overweight perthes as well. And skiffy tends to be heavier kids, though not always. So you have to make sure that you're careful about that. The most important thing, I think, is to not miss thinking about it. 
And so when kids come in complaining of knee pain, which they frequently will, you absolutely have to evaluate the hip. 100% of the time, if a child complains of knee pain, and I don't even care if they have a knee finding, evaluate the hip. I had a patient in my practice who had been seeing an orthopedic surgeon for 10 months for this recalcitrant Osgood Schlatter's. And the child had Oshkosh Schlatter's for sure. Saw it on MRI because we kept MRIing it. But the kid couldn't put his sock on, not because of his knee, because of his hip. He had a horrible 100% displaced skippy that diagnosed 10 months after the fact. Mm -hmm. So don't forget to evaluate the hip regardless of what they present for. In fact, I evaluate everybody's hips, no matter what they come in for. (laughs) (laughs) The best way to be safe. Uh Uh-huh. Radiographic evaluation is going to be AP pelvis, frog pelvis. That will help you never miss these. Both of them show up better on the frog than the AP. A skiffy usually presents with obligate external rotation with hip flexion. Mm-hmm. And perthes tends to present with decreased abduction. So those are your physical exam findings. And they're very characteristic for each one. The skiffy management is immediate phone call to the surgeon. Mm-hmm. So the surgeon mm-hmm. needs to know right away. It needs to be their responsibility to decide if they're going to take the risk of having this patient go home with a wheelchair and then follow up for surgery, or if they need to be admitted that night. When I was a resident, we admitted all of them immediately, but in a private practice setting or in a community setting, that isn't as realistic. And so the community standard is for us is uh, for a stable slip, which is what you would see at urgent care. You're not going to see somebody that you know can't walk at all with an acute slip. Mm-hmm. But a stable slip where they can get around a little bit but have pain and limping, those kids can go home with a wheelchair. For me, crutches are not a good idea. I think they're more likely to fall with crutches. You can give them crutches, but you have to tell them walk normally. The crutches are for balance. Mm-hmm. Because taking an overweight child who's usually not all that coordinated and sticking them on crutches to protect their hip is not a great idea. We talked about the skiffies, perthes, transient synovitis, the septic hip management of those. And, and you touched on it some with the skiffy. They, they need to be reduced and you need to stabilize it. What about perthes? How do you manage that? I had a cousin when I was a kid who had the abduction brace, the clonking, you know, big metal things. Man, if you can avoid that, I, I don't know what the management is, but man, that was so traumatic for everybody involved. It was just horrible. Perthes is terrible. The course is so variable that I can't even begin to tell you what to tell your patients to expect from their surgeon Mm -hmm. because some perthes does very, very well and we never do anything. And some perthes is so significant that the child ends up with many interventions, finally hip replacement when they're a teenager. So it's, it's a wide variety. I do think in terms of workup, please don't get an MRI because your surgeon might want a very specific kind of MRI. So I get a subtraction perfusion MRI, which shows me the current state of the femoral head in terms of blood supply, which helps me decide treatment for early perthes. And it's very frustrating when somebody's already come in with an MRI because the insurance won't pay for another one. So plain films are helpful. And then the referral is not urgent. You know, I'd like to see them within a week or two, especially since the parents are flipping out, but it's not like a skippy where we absolutely have to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to work them in more for emotional support. But in terms of physical, we usually just say, let's limit running and jumping, go see your surgeon in a week or two. Mm -hmm. And they will talk about all the treatments, which include observation and therapy, 
bracing, the horrible Petri casting that you're talking about where they're in that A-frame that they can't fit through doors, mm-hmm. varus osteotomy, yeah. you know, all that gamut of treatments. Mm-hmm. Dr. Casey, any other thoughts on evaluation of a limping child? Don't forget about cancers and uh, leukemia is kind of the main one not to forget about. Mm-hmm. And it it can certainly present with a limping child and I think 45% of leukemia kids present with a musculoskeletal complaint. And so I certainly diagnose a handful. And so it's really important to have that as part of your differential. And that's where the CBC, SEDRATE, and CRP are helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That's great information. Thank you for that. Do you have any online resources or do you have any recommended further reading for listeners who might want to learn some more about this? And, and by the way, before you answer that, Dr. Casey's coming to our Charlotte conference this year and we'll be presenting on elbows and hopefully some other topics, some lower extremity injuries, I think. These things are always subject to change, but Dr. Casey will be there presenting and we'll be recording her. So we really like having Dr. Casey to help us with this. There's a nice little article that is called Evaluation of the Limping Child by Dr. Burns and Dr. Mubarak out of San Diego, and it's at www.jpozna.org, so Journal of POSNA. Mm-hmm. POSNA mm-hmm. is the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America, so that's kind of the place where all of us pediatric orthopedic surgeons meet and talk and produce educational things, and so that's a good resource, posna.org, but this particular article was on jposna.org. We'll also have that on our audiograms and social media and such. Dr. Casey, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Any parting thoughts? No, just thanks so much for having me. It's been a great time, and I appreciate all your work with this. It's good stuff. A lot of fun. Dr. Casey, thank you so much. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Extremities in the Carolinas, Trauma for General Orthopedics, Charlotte Conference, May 21st and 22nd, 2021. Check out the paos.org website for details.